0: Well, if you haven't been with us, we're in a series in um, uh, the scriptures on uh, stewarding our our lives well. So we're talking about uh, time, talent, and treasure, and what it might look like to steward those gifts that God has given us. So the first week, we looked at stewarding time, so time is precious, time is limited. Uh, How do you make sure that you are using your time wisely? So we looked at that. Hopefully you learned from that. And then uh, last week, we began talking about our talents uh, and, and asking the question, uh, how do we use the talents and the gifts and the callings that God has given us? How do we make sure that we don't bury our talents? Uh, how do we make sure that we are, that we are uh, being useful to the world in which God has placed us? Today we're, we're conti- continuing that question and, and we're, we're going to ask the question, um, you know, we know that God wants us to use our callings, to use our gifts, but the question is how do we discover uh, what it is we're supposed to use? Uh, in other words, how do we discover our unique calling in this world? How do we discover uh, what the, the things that make us useful uh, to God and other people? How do we discover those things? And, 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 and usually when you think about that question, you think about your strengths. You know you think about what are my abilities what are my gifts uh, what are the things I have to offer um, what are my, my my aptitudes and things like that in fact in the church uh, whenever we talk about discovering your gifts and your abilities we have a, a, a test that we might give people uh, one of them is called the Strengths finder where you go and you answer questions and and you discover your strengths you discover your your abilities you discover what you can offer. And maybe some of you have taken some of these, uh, these tests. We've certainly preached sermons on, on uh, discovering your gift. We have a test that we offer in our discovery class. And uh, there's really nothing wrong with this, but today I want to talk about a different angle on your usefulness and discovering your, your usefulness. I want to suggest that, that maybe your unique calling or your unique uh, thing that you've got to offer the world has more to do with your weakness than your strength. I want to suggest that that, that maybe the, the key to discovering your calling is to understanding your greatest limitation. So let me put it in the form of a question: Have you ever considered the possibility that what you regard as your limitations or your sense of personal inadequacy, your weakness, may actually prove to be the very key to your usefulness in the world? Have you ever considered that your handicaps may prove to be the key to to discovering your calling? Or let me put it even another way, have you ever considered the strength of weakness? So we're going to talk about today. Now, now a lot of people, as you hear them talk about their weakness, you usually hear people talk like this. You know, they, they, they start to bemoan the things about them that they wish were different. And maybe it sounds like this, you know, if only only I was not such an introvert, if only I wasn't so quiet, If, if, if only I wasn't so awkward, then God could use me. Then I could really be useful. Then I could really make a difference in God's kingdom. Or they might say, you know, if only I, I, I met the cultural standards of beauty, if only I was a little bit taller, a little bit thinner, my features were a little bit more even, then I could really make a splash, then people would really notice me, and then, I, then God might, might really be able to use me. Or if maybe I wasn't so uh, sick all the time, if only I didn't struggle with this illness, if I, if I only didn't have to deal with this chronic, you know, physical issue all the time, then I could really, I could really go at it, then I could really make a difference in the world. Or, or if only I went to college, if only I got a degree, if only, uh, you know, I you know, didn't squander my younger years and I actually applied myself when I went to college, if only I did that, then I could really make a difference in the world. If only, if only, if only, if only I had a different uh, family of origin, if only I didn't go through this experience in life, if I didn't have such limitations, then God could use me. You know, and, and as you think about yourself, so many of us, especially if you're type A or you're kind of your Enneagram 1, the perfectionist, you hate your weaknesses. You know, you're somebody that, that just obsesses over your gifts and your talents, and you hate weakness. You hate to think about your weakness. You, you bemoan the fact that you have weaknesses, and it really troubles you. Or maybe you think about your kids. You know, you think about your kids, and, and you, you begin to obsess over their weaknesses, Man, my kids, I, I want them to make it in this world, and I want them to make a difference in this world. If only they were a little bit, in my case, taller. <laughs> if only they had a little bit more, you fill in the blank. If only we had just some more to offer them, then they could really make a difference in the world. And So we bemoan our weaknesses. We distance ourselves from them. We hate them. We don't like to think about them until we minimize them at all costs. And our culture doesn't help us, you know, because we live in a culture that, that values and, and, you know, moving up the ladder and, and so forth. And so, you know, you go to a job interview and, and you've got this resume and all of your strengths are on there and all of your accomplishments and your credentials. And the, the person doing the interview says, well, can you tell me about a, a weakness that you have? Oh, oh yes, yes, a weakness. Oh, I've got plenty of those. Yeah, one of them is that I, I just, I work so hard. I work too hard. Yeah, that's it. I just, I, I'm at the office too hard, too much. And I just work, work a little bit too hard. Or I'm a perfectionist. Yeah, that's what it is. I, I'm just too I'm too perfect <laughs> right and so we minimize the, the weaknesses and we try to pretend like they're not there but but today again I want to suggest to you that that maybe your key to, to discovering your, your calling and, and your usefulness to the world is not so much in your strength but your limitations now we're gonna learn that from a, a passage here that that was read for us in second Corinthians 12 and this is a passage written by the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Paul had such a strange way of looking at weakness and in this passage Paul is vulnerable he he, he just kind of opens his life up a little bit and he gets honest and he gets vulnerable and, and he begins to talk about his weakness he, he, he begins to talk about the things that, that most people are think are that, that think are embarrassing and in fact he ends the passage by saying when I am weak then I am strong. Now, what is that? That's so backwards. That's a strange way of looking at weakness. And so we're going to go through how Paul got there and what he means by, by this, that our strengths or that our weaknesses might be actually in God's providence and in God's kingdom considered a strength. Let's get into the passage here. And, and before we get into it, we, we've got to kind of get the context. So uh, Paul here is defending his apostleship. And uh, you got to know that that Paul almost all of second Corinthians he's defending his credibility he's defending his 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 right to lead in God's church against some um, teachers that have come into the church uh, that were just really obsessed with power and strength so there were these teachers that had come in and these were individuals that valued credentials and they valued uh, human ability and they had a lot of abilities. So these were teachers that had everything that you could ask for on a resume. They went to the right schools. They, they had all the right letters after their names. They were, and, if, and on top of that, they were gifted. They had, they could speak well, and they, they were learned, and they were smart, and they could really make a splash. They were very charismatic. And they had spiritual experiences, and they really were the full package. They had everything. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing, nothing wrong with being gifted and strong. There's nothing wrong with having letters after your name. There's nothing wrong with being educated. But the problem with these guys is, is they thought that their strengths made them legit. They believed that their strengths were the key to being useful. And we know this because they started attacking Paul. And what they said was that, they said, we we have a right to be here because we we have what it takes. But Paul, Paul has no right to be an apostle because Paul exhibits incredible weakness. Don't listen to Paul. Don't don't follow Paul because because Paul is just too weak. This was their argument against them. Now, if you turn back just a page there in in chapter 10, verse 10, uh, we hear something uh, about what they were saying about Paul. It says, for they say, speaking of the uh, what Paul calls them the super apostles, <laughs> sarcastically, the super apostles, these gifted guys. It says, for they say, uh, his letters, speaking of Paul, are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. So they said, here's, look at Paul. They says, first of all, he's he's kind of cowardly. He doesn't have enough charisma. When he's in your presence, his letters are weighty, right? He's real strong over email. (laughs) He's real strong over a text message, but when he actually shows up, man, look at this guy. He's kind of embarrassing, right? He's a lion over in his letters, but he's a pussycat when he shows up in person here. They also said that he lacked giftedness. Uh, We don't know what it was about Paul. Maybe he couldn't speak very well, but they, they say his speech was contemptible, right? Listen to us, we know how to talk we have rhetorical skills but Paul I mean this guy doesn't know how to talk he's just not gifted enough to follow him and besides that he hasn't had the spiritual experiences that he needs to be an apostle he hasn't had visions and dreams or at least he doesn't talk about them and so they're getting on Paul's case because of Paul's weakness and so in chapter 12 what we see Paul doing is he's in a position where he's got to defend himself against the accusations but what he does here is so unusual If it were me, what I would do at this point is, this is when I I would go out with all guns blazing. Oh, you think I'm weak, do you? You think I don't have credentials, do you? Well, check out what I've got. I would break out my resume, and I would show them all the degrees, and I would talk about my spiritual experiences. And it seems like Paul begins to do this. But then he changes his tack, and he begins to talk about his weakness. So let's begin in chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether in body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. It cannot be told, which a man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. And let's stop there. So it seems like Paul, what what he's doing here is he's going to begin to talk about his credentials and boast in them. He says, I know a man who was caught up into the third heaven. Now, who's Paul talking about there? Most scholars believe Paul's talking about himself. This man that was caught up into the third heaven was Paul. He says, what is the third heaven? I don't really know. But apparently it was like a vision or a dream or an ecstatic experience or something like that. He's caught up into what he calls paradise. And he saw things that he says no human being can even utter them. Nobody would even understand what I was talking about if I began to talk about this stuff. And of this person, it's another person, and it's not me, it's somebody else, he says. I would boast about that guy. Paul's really talking about himself. I'd boast about that guy, but I'm not but I'm not gonna boast about that, he says. In verse 5, he says, On my own behalf, I will not boast except in my weakness. Though I should have wished to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me as he sees or hears from me. So Paul says, listen, I'm not sure. I may have had uh, spiritual experiences, but I'm not going to talk about that. He says, in fact, if I'm going to boast about anything, I am going to boast in my weakness. Now, what an odd way of viewing your limitations. Here are these guys, and they're pointing about about everything wrong with Paul and all of his weaknesses and all these things that he lacks. And Paul, if it were me, I would have deflected all that stuff. I would have have ignored them. I would have dodged them. I would have minimized them. I would have tried to, uh, you know, shield them so that nobody saw them. But what Paul does is he just says, you want to talk about my weakness? Let's talk about it. He says because I'm not embarrassed about my limitations. In fact, he says the way I view my weaknesses is they're actually an opportunity for me to boast. And so Paul Paul actually views his weaknesses as a as an asset. Paul wasn't always there in fact Paul get narrows in and he talks about a very specific weakness he says let me tell you how I learned this lesson and so then he goes on in verse uh, 7 and he says so to keep me from being conceited because of all the surpassing greatness of the revelations he says a thorn was given to me in the flesh Paul says, let me tell you about one weakness that I have and he calls it a thorn in the flesh now, Paul, he, he doesn't identify what exactly this specific thorn was. And there are mounds of books and, and articles and, you know, people writing about what exactly this thorn in the flesh was. Let me go through a few of the top options. So some people thought that Paul's thorn in the flesh was, was maybe a personal anxiety or mental kind of ailment. So uh, some people say it was maybe a, an anxiety disorder. Or maybe chronic depression uh, Paul wrote way before you know modern psychology so he wouldn't have called it that but some people say that Paul was just one of those guys that just had this debilitating anxiety or depression so every morning he battled to get out of bed maybe you relate to that you know every you know it, there may not even been something even there but Paul maybe he felt anxious about stuff you know, it, maybe it was some sort of mental issue that kind of kept him down, that kept him being, you know, fully functional the way most people are in life. Or uh, other people say it was a physical malady, like a headache or um, some other chronic illness. And, and, you know, lots of people uh, kind of guess what this might be. Some people say it was malarial fever. Other people say it was epilepsy that he had. Some people say he su- suffered from solar retinitis, other people say it was a speech impediment, the storm of flesh, a chronic illness, something he, he dealt with on a daily basis. Crohn's disease. Uh, or maybe you know, some sort of chronic eye sickness, or some other thing, but it was something that Paul dealt with daily and weekly. Other people say it was just that Paul was um, embarrassingly ugly. <laughs> these people are cruel who say that. Uh, history, you know, they, talk, they have. there's people that have drawn pictures of Paul based on some of his writings and some of the early accounts, and, and people theorize that Paul was, uh, that he was short and bow-legged. Now, anybody who thinks that short is a sign that you're bad-looking is just a cruel human being. I'll just say that right now, and it's just not right. As a short man, I will say that, but some people say that Paul being short and being bow-legged, they also, there's also accounts that he had a big hook nose and a big unibrow. And uh, they said that he was just not a good-looking man. And so when he walked into a room, you wouldn't be drawn to him at all. In fact, you might even be repelled by, by him uh, be, because of his looks. And so whatever the case may be, Paul said, I had this constant, constant chronic weakness. Maybe he didn't mention exactly what it is because is he wants us to fill in the blank. What is it for you as you think about your own life, as you think about your limitations, and as you think about the things in your life that you wish were not there, or maybe the things in your kid's life that you felt like that you wish they didn't have to deal with? Maybe Paul left it blank because he wants us to fill that blank in. What is it for you that you might consider your greatest weakness? So what did Paul do? Notice what Paul does in verse 8. Paul says, I prayed about it. So he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord, this is verse eight, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that he should le- take it from me. So Paul didn't want this. And so he, he said, I went to God and I just prayed, God, please take this away. Now notice he calls the thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan. In some way, it's kind of odd the way he talks about it. He says, in, on, in one sense, it was a gift from God, this malady, this weakness. But he says, on the other hand, it was like a messenger from Satan, I think what he means by that is like this thorn, it was almost like a voice that, that he heard constantly that just kind of went at him and said, you don't deserve this. Paul, Why, God, why have you let this thing happen to me? Why is this in my life? Why, did you, why do I have to deal with this? Or maybe Paul was, maybe the voice said, Paul, you could be so much more useful. You could be so much more fruitful to this world. You could help other people more if you didn't have this issue. Maybe that's what the voice was telling him. Whatever it was, Paul said, man, I'm praying to God to get rid of this thing. He said, I prayed three, three times. And God, and God get, please take it away. And God said no. Now it's interesting. Most people, do you, you hear testimonies about how God answered their prayer? I had this issue and God answered my prayer. And it's this incredible testimony. Here is a testimony about an unanswered prayer. God says no. I, I won't take it away. Now, why did God not take away Paul's thorn in the flesh? And here's where we get to Paul's statement about his weakness in verse 9. And God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here's the principle. God says, I'm not taking away your weakness. Because here's the thing about weakness.'" Weakness is an opportunity for God's power to be displayed. God does his best work in our limitations. God says to Paul, your weakness is not a liability, it's an asset. Your weakness is not not an occasion where where you're not being useful, but actually, perhaps, Paul, maybe you haven't thought about this before, but maybe your weakness is the key to your being useful to the world. God says, my power is such... That it is made perfect in your weakness, limitation, hardship, and disability. Now Paul hears this, and, and, and I want you to see that this is something that Paul hears, but it's, some, but it's not just a one-time thing. This is, some, this is a theme all the way through the Bible. God's power being made perfect in our limitations is a macro theme in Scripture. And so, for example, when God wants to uh, build a great nation, to to build a great family, lots of children into a great nation, he goes to a couple, he goes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want to make your family as many as the the sands of the seashore. And he says this to Abraham, whose wife is barren. Now, why would you, if you want to create a great nation, someone who could bear lots of children, why would you go to a man whose, whose wife is barren? Why would you go to a barren couple? Because God does his best work in weakness. This is the way God likes to get things done in the world. God wants to confront Pharaoh. God wants to, uh, to, the Pharaoh who is enslaving his people, God wants to, to, to have a deliverer sent to Pharaoh who can speak boldly to him and stand in his presence with confidence, and so he goes to Moses. Out of a burning book he's bush, he says, Moses, I want you to speak to Pharaoh, and I want you to go, and I want you to tell him to let my people go. And Moses says, me, are you kidding? I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't talk, Lord, Go, go talk to my brother. He can really speak well, but why are you talking? Why are you, I can't speak. Why do you want me to do this? Because God does his best work in human weakness. And so God wants to, a king, uh, the first king of Israel. He wants a king, a mighty king who will rule over his people, someone who can uh, be a man of, after his own heart, someone who could rule uh, Israel well. And so he, he sends Samuel the prophet to the, to the family of Jesse. He says, Samuel, the next king is among Jesse's sons. And so he says, Jesse, one of your sons is going to be the next king. Line them up. Bring them all out. And so Jesse brings all of his sons out there. The first one looks great. He's tall. He fits the cultural standard of beauty and charisma. And God says, that's not him. And Samuel says, well, it must be the next guy. Nope, it's not him. Well, what about the next guy? Nope, it's not him. The next one? Nope, there's nobody left. And he says, don't you have any other sons? And he says, well, there's one. I didn't even bring him out. Why would you want that one? I didn't even bring him out because he has no, there's nothing about him that would say king. And he says, well, bring him out. Maybe he's the one. David comes out in his little shepherd pants, whatever he was wearing. The shepherds wear pants? I don't know. God says, that's the one. That's the one I want because God does his best work amidst human limitation and weakness. And so the Philistines, armies of thousands, are surrounding God's people, and God needs a deliverer. He needs somebody who could be a mighty warrior to defeat the Philistines. And so uh, God goes and he finds a a, a man sitting under a tabernacle tree, a man who'd never lifted a weapon in his life. He says, I want you to defeat the Philistine." He says, me, this is Gideon. You want me to to do what? No, I've never even fought a battle in my life. I'm the least of my father's household. He says, I want you to do it. And so he goes, and miracle of miracles, he develops a decent army. And God says, your army's too big. (laughs) Whittle them down. And so he whittles the army down to 300 people. And he says, now you're ready. Because this is the way God likes to get things done in this world. He uses human weakness. He uses human inability. He uses our handicaps and our liabilities to display his power. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And so God wants to redeem the world. And of course he chooses some great ruler to do this. Somebody who came from just the right city and just the right place in society. No, he chooses a carpenter from Nowhereville. Jesus Christ, who, who, uh, an insignificant man who gathers around himself disciples, and of course his disciples, they're the learned, you know, lettered people, right? No, they were tax collectors and fishermen. People who didn't know what they were doing. He says, this is the way I like to get things done. You see, I use the weak things of the world, Paul says earlier, to confound the wise. And the foolish to confound the great. God uses our inabilities my strength is made perfect in your weakness now why does God do this why doesn't doesn't God use strength to confound the strong people why does he use our weaknesses it's because so often our weaknesses remind us of our dependency on God's grace we think if I'm self-reliant then I could really get things done and God says no actually those people who know their inadequacy get things done because they begin to depend on my strength instead of their own they don't boast about themselves, they boast in me. They look to me and my strength. Imagine if you, you know, imagine the Olympics are, is coming up. Imagine if there was an Olympic basketball team where they gathered all the best players from the NBA. All the most, you know, the MVPs and all the, the best players and they gathered them together and they go to the Olympics and they win the championship. Like nobody would be surprised. They'd say, of course, these players are awesome, yes. Of course they won. But imagine instead if you developed a basketball team where I was the star player. And besides me, we got Steve Alexander on board. And Tommy Tucker. And then we added Beck- <laughs> Betsy Tucker while we are at it. And then we got Jonathan Doris. And a few junior hires. Everybody in the 5'7 and under club, right? 5'7, we're talking, I'm 5'7, What if that team won? Then you'd say, who's the coach? Who's the coach who took these short, bumbling people and did something with them? And this is why it glorifies God to use our weaknesses so that he would get the honor. So that no human being would glory and think that they did it on their own. You see, God uses our weaknesses, and weaknesses are so valuable because they remind us of our dependency upon God. Our weaknesses also make us compassionate to other people that are weak. You know, so many people, when they, the, the way they discovered their unique calling and usefulness of the world was when they discovered their own weakness. It was through a weakness or a limitation. And that weakness birthed a compassion and an empathy in some other group of people that most people overlook. You know, maybe it's someone who struggles with chronic depression. And they're able to sit with somebody else who's depressed because they know what it's like. Maybe it's somebody who's gone through some hardship, some issue in, in life that, that, that just made them so weak and, and so embarrassed, and God actually uses that incident, that situation in their life to make them useful to the human community. There's a story of uh, Joni erickson Tata, and many of you know who she is. She's a prominent Christian who's and uh, early in life, she dove off a dock into sh- shallow water and became a quadriplegic. And at that moment, she thought, I wanted to do things in life. She says it in her biography. I wanted to do things in life, and I wanted to be useful. And now I'm in a wheelchair. What can I do in a wheelchair? But she, she says later on that it was her wheelchair that, that, that brought her into her calling. Here's what she says. She says, years ago, when I took that fateful dive into shallow water and broke my neck, never did I think that God was honing me for leadership. All I could do was wretch at the thought of sitting down for the rest of my life without the use of my hands or legs. But slowly over time, God began opening doors and expanding my sphere of influence. I became a leader by default. And no one was more amazed than I. It's why I thank God for my wheelchair. It has made me appreciate all my, my failures and weaknesses. Never would I have dreamed I I would serve God as an international disability advocate or author. Uh, Never did I dream uh, God would use me to influence the church for special needs, ministries, but it's the dream I am living, the dream I am living in a wheelchair. All because I have come to realize that God's most effective leaders don't rise to power in spite of their weakness, they lead with power because of their weakness. I wonder what your weakness is I wonder what it is that when you look at it you think man if only I didn't have that if only I could just get that out of my life then God could use me have you ever considered that perhaps the things in life that you're embarrassed of the things that you kind of minimize and hide from other people the the, the tragic experience that you wish you could just forget have you ever considered that that is the key to your usefulness that your weakness is actually an opportunity for God to display his power It's because our weaknesses also remind us of of the glory of the cross. You know, at the heart of the gospel is this idea of power and weakness. Because Christian salvation is not for people that are strong. It's for people who can admit that they're weak. Nobody comes into God's presence and says, accept me because look at my resume, look how strong I am, look at all the letters after my name, look at all the credentials I've got. If that person comes to God and God says, I'm sorry, you're too strong to come in, it's the person who comes to God and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And your weaknesses remind you of your inadequacy and it's, just, it's your inadequacy that births salvation in your life. At the heart of the gospel is strength and weakness. Jesus Christ doing for you what you can't do for yourself. So Paul says, for the sake of Christ, I am content with weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, such a strange thing to say in our self-reliant, self-promoting culture, when I am weak, then I am strong. So application, let's think about how to apply this. This will take just a couple minutes here. I want you to do three things this week. First of all, I want you to try to acknowledge your weakness. Right? You know, most of us, we shield our weakness. My greatest weakness is that I'm a perfectionist. (laughs) Most of us try to pretend like they're not there. But I want you just to first acknowledge your weakness. Just like Paul. I'm not going to hide it. Yeah, you're Right? (laughs) I have all sorts of weaknesses. What what do you want me to acknowledge first? Maybe if you're here and you're thinking, I don't have any weaknesses. I'm just super gifted. Ask your spouse; they'll tell you what it is. (laughs) Ask your roommate. The people that know you best. The thing about our weaknesses is that we think nobody sees them. Everybody sees them. They're obvious to everybody but us. We're kind of in denial about it. But what if you just acknowledge, man? Here's where I'm weak. Secondly, I want you to embrace your weakness. Embrace it. Own it. Again, so countercultural in our culture of of power and prestige. Just own the weakness as an opportunity of God's grace. Own the weakness. Embrace it. Boast in it. Celebrate it. Thank God for it. In fact, in the passage, the the word Paul uses for the God gave me a thorn is the same word he uses in chapter 10 where God gave him a spiritual gift. What if you viewed your thorn as a gift and you just embraced it and you thought, maybe God, maybe God, you, you, you put this in my life for a reason. Finally, I want you to consider. Consider how your weakness, your unique weakness might be the, call, the key to discovering your calling. How your weakness, limitation, and adequacy might be an asset and might be the key to your usefulness. Now again, there's nothing wrong with being smart or being educated or having letters after your name. There's nothing wrong with gifts. Discover your gifts, but while you're doing it, also don't be afraid to look at your weakness because so often it's our weakness is the key to discovering our calling, our usefulness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you give us this unusual passage where Paul is so unabashedly open and vulnerable about, about his weakness. It probably was obvious to everybody who saw him, Lord, but he, he teaches us about looking at our weaknesses differently, an angle of, of looking at weakness that might consider it an, an opportunity for you to do your work. Lord, I pray that you would use us. God, I pray that you would take those things about us that we wish weren't there and that you, you would... Open our hearts and open our eyes. Help us, Lord, to value those things. God, help us to celebrate uh, being on the margin and being in a place where we are weak because that is so often where you do your best work. We pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.